the hell are you supposed to be? I'm comic book movie guy. Hello everyone and welcome back to the new segment called The Scale. Now today is episode two of The Scale and I'm going to be doing a deep dive into Batman Returns, which is uh, 1992. Uh, film from 1992, directed again by Tim Burton, and it's the sequel to Batman 1989. So like I said, we're going to do the scale on it, the goods, the bads, a comic book movie guy, uh, and yeah, let's give you a little taste. I've been down here too long. It's time for me to ascend. To reemerge. I'm the light in this city, and I am its mean twisted soul. You and I have something in common. <laughs> the thought of busting Batman makes me feel old. What did curiosity do to the cat? Meow. There you go. That's Batman Returns 1992. And again, like I said, directed by Tim Burton. And right there in that trailer, we get a lot of good stuff. That Now, that's the remastered trailer um, for the re-release in 2014 that they did. I love that they did this, by the way, Warner Brothers. They re-released all of the old Batman movies, kind of remastered um, with better visuals, not so pixeled and stuff like that. They just corrected it all. So, that's really great, and they're all on Crave right now. So that's why I'm kind of doing this uh, segment series uh, that I'm calling The Scale. So right away, uh, we'll just get into it. Um, it's going to be the good versus the bad. Now, last episode, I was kind of pinging and ponging back and forth between the good and the bad. But I think today, I'm just going to kind of list them in order as I kind of watch the movie. So I'm going to start with the good, and I'm going to go all the way through all of my good parts, and then I'll finish with the bad which I know that leaves it on a bit of a bad note, but my conclusion should change your mind. So <laughs> here we go. All right, so right off the bat, the good, um, the score, the score in this movie is back. Like we had 1989 Batman score and it was phenomenal. Like I have no issues with uh, what Tim Burton and Danny Elfman did with that score uh, in those two Batman films. But this one, it's definitely um, way more intriguing uh, the choir is fantastic, and right off the bat, you get the scene where 
penguins, you see kind of penguins origin where his parents uh, don't really accept him when he's born. He's obviously some kind of a freak and they put him in the basket and they drop the basket into the, into the river and it runs through sort of the sewers of Gotham and that beautiful haunting score in the background with the choir is so good. Um, yeah, I, the intro is just so solid. It's dark, um, mysterious, gothic, very eerie. Like I just, I love it. So another good here is, um, I love that the intro credits just follow that baby's basket. Like you just kind of follow the basket and it kind of introduces, uh, the characters or sorry, the actors and actresses, uh, that are going to be in this film and who produced it and stuff. You know how old school movies, um, they kind of, they always show you the credits before the movie and after. Um, I liked how they did it in this movie. It, I felt like it really flowed. Uh, it flowed a lot better having that beautiful score. And then you're just, you got something to watch. You can watch the baby carriage going through the sewers of Gotham. And it's just, it's fantastic. I never noticed this before, but this movie is actually set 33 years later after Batman 1989. So you can tell the movie had uh, a way bigger budget to, to deal with this time. And that, that shows through, like, I kind of put that in the same note. Like I'm noticing that the budget is much bigger for this film because obviously the first one did so well. Um, and then, yeah, I, I never noticed that before. I can't believe I never noticed that. But at the very beginning of the movie, when, you know, it shows Gotham city for the first time, it tells you, Hey, this is 33 years later. And yeah. Uh, Alfred, in both 1989 and Batman Returns, I feel, uh, just fits so well. He's perfect for that era. He kind of gets, you know, when Joel Schumacher comes in in 1995 and does Batman Forever, we'll get into that when that episode of The Scale comes through, but I felt like he didn't fit into that world as much. Like, I could have almost had Alfred recast uh, for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. He, he fit better with Keaton, and I truly believe that that was, you know, his era um, of Batman films where he really excelled. I really like Penguin's goons in this. Um, they're they're kind of like circus folk. And I especially really like that sort of the skull that rides around on the, the motorcycle. He's got kind of this big mascot head, but it's like a creepy skull. And he's just kind of ripping around in the beginning of the movie. And causing a bit of a ruckus. And I really enjoyed that. So our introduction to Bruce Wayne uh, is fantastic in this movie. They, and now that I know that it was set 33 years later, it kind of, a lot more of the movie makes sense to me. Because he is kind of advanced. And you can tell he's kind of comfortable. And a lot more of like his setup at home makes sense for Batman. So our introduction to him is, uh, you know, him seeing the signal. And he's got it kind of set up, he, like he's sitting in this dark room, this dark empty room in this giant like gothic leather chair. And then the bat signal like bounces off of all these different mirrors and projects like right into his face as if to like actually summon him. I love that. Um, he then walks towards the light as if it's like calling to him, you know, like it's not just the fact that the light shines in his face, but it's the fact that he like, He's drawn to it. It calls to him. You know, the night needs him. And I, yeah, I absolutely love it. Keaton's Batsuit in this movie 
so I should mention this, by the way. I forgot to do the quick little introductories here. So Danny DeVito uh, stars as the penguin in this. Uh, we have Michelle Pfeiffer as the Catwoman, and obviously Michael Keaton is back as Batman. Um, and we have a new character in Max, who is uh, Christopher Walken. And yeah, I'll get into all that as well. But I just wanted to introduce the characters quickly, the main players here. And yeah, like I was saying, Keaton's bat suit is so good. I, in my note here, I have, I have Keaton's bat suit is so fucking good in this movie. And, you know, they definitely saw where the flaws were in the suit with the first film and they modified it to accent his eyes. You know, like I said in the first uh, part, like the first episode of this scale series, Keaton was cast by Tim Burton because of his eyes, even though he wasn't, um, you know, the typical Bruce Wayne casting or Batman casting. He wasn't as charismatic as you would think. But uh, yeah, his eyes in this bat suit just pop and they make him look a lot more intimidating. I loved it. Um, yeah, I just loved all the modifications that they uh, made to bring out certain features of Batman in this uh, version, you know, like the ears too, they're so long and it just kind of gives him this more, you know, and with Keaton being a shorter guy, it makes him a little more intimidating uh, with the ears and you see him in a little more combat in this one too. So I, I tend to wonder if maybe some of the critique on the film, I don't know what exactly went down with the fans. I obviously they love the film because this, you know, got a sequel and everything. But it, it makes me wonder, like, okay, we get a, a bit more of Batman fighting in this. Like, were there complaints, do we wonder, you know? Were there complaints like Batman didn't fight enough and all this stuff? And, you know, Keaton's Batman in this movie, when he does fight, he fights smarter, not harder. He's, he's very tactical. Um, and it's kind of, it allows him to do as little hand-to-hand combat as possible. And I kind of like that when I think about it. Because, you know, my version of Batman that I love the most is Ben Affleck. And his was, he's such a uh, brawler style fighter. And I really like that on the big screen. But like when I think about this movie and I see some of the things that Keaton does uh, in the Batsuit to kind of avoid having to have such brutal fights, it's, it's really cool. And it worked really well when I kind of grasped that concept. Uh, when S- my next note here is when Selena is uh, talking to Max prior to him throwing her out the window, you can see cat ear like shadows uh, from the light shining on her glasses, and it, it's it's uh, definitely some foreshadowing. Just kind of the way she angles her head down, the glasses that she's wearing they kind of peek above her eyes like cat ears, and yeah, the foreshadowing there is awesome. I'm sure it was intentional. Uh, let's get into her reincarnation. Her reincarnation as Catwoman uh, is so interesting to me. It's really, really creepy. And the cats start like biting her hands as if she's being like injected with cat venom. Such a different and interesting approach from Burton and the, and the cast there to just kind of go in on that, in that fashion. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer is easily my favorite character in this film. When she starts chugging the cream after feeding the cats, uh, after she kind of, you know, transforms into this new Selena Kyle Catwoman, the scene in the apartment when she just destroys everything and breaks the neon sign that says, 
hello there. It's like this pink neon sign that hangs above her couch and it says hello there. And then she just walks by it kind of zombie-like and just starts smashing random letters and it ends up saying hell here. And oh man, I, you know, even talking about it right now, I just get that little chill up my spine. (laughs) Super good. Really good writing there. It's so badass uh, that she actually changes her voice for Catwoman too. Like it's it's lower, it's more erotic. Um, I think she's easily, you know, the best part of this film and just the way that she decided to approach Catwoman in sort of like, it's, it's kind of like her Selena Kyle becomes a zombie, which I'll get into that because that is one of my bads. I didn't like Selena Kyle in the movie as much, but her Catwoman is easily my favorite that I've ever seen on screen and probably will be for a long time. Uh, okay. Still my favorite look for Keaton is his glasses. I know I mentioned the glasses in the 1989 version um, last Saturday when I posted this uh, first scene or first segment. Uh, and Keaton's glasses again in this movie are perfect. That was obviously a look they were going for, like with Bruce Wayne in the Batcave. He's so good when he's like studying the files on Penguin. I, I love it. Bruce's he's suspect of Penguin from the very start. Like from the moment he sees him on TV, kind of doing some mayoral stuff. And, uh, you know, he sees him alongside Max and obviously him and Max don't get along at all. Kind of two corporate guys uh, facing off head to head, uh, which we see in a movie or which we see in a scene as well. They don't get along at all. And, you know, he's suspicious from, of the Penguin from the start. I love the scene of Batman patrolling the streets in snowy Gotham. It's so quiet, and he's just kind of like, it's so badass too, because he's just like rolling really casually, slowly through the snow in the Batmobile. And, you know, talking to Alfred on the camera in his Batmobile, he's kind of doing some recon, and, you know, it's just such a perfect Batman moment. Now, I'm going to get into this with the negative, Uh, with the bads later, like much later here. But um, the thing I wanted to bring up is perhaps the only scene that works for me regarding the penguin in this movie is when he visits the grave of his parents and he's kind of slowly walking with his umbrella and his top hat uh, towards the giant tombstone, that like hauntingly beautiful score that they have from the beginning is playing. But... uh, like I said, I have a lot of bads surrounding Penguin, and I'll get into those later. But I have here in this note, which is quite funny to me, it says, you know, after I after I go off about how beautiful the score is and stuff and how great that scene is, I say, but man, as soon as Penguin opens his mouth to speak, the scene goes right out the window for me. And, you know, like I said, I'll get into it later, but man. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Catwoman, her intro scene, like in the actual cat suit, uh, where she blinds the thug, is actually very well written and cool. She shows off her skills and flexibility. And, you know, she, when she does save that, uh, that girl, she kind of, you know, also has no remorse for her either. Like she saves her and the girl's like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And she's like, yeah, you just make it so easy, don't you? And all this stuff, right? Like she just, She's not out there to save anybody. She's just doing her own thing. And I, 
I really like the writing in that scene. I find Bruce is actually much more charming in this film than the first one. And, you know, rightfully so. Keaton is a charming actor, and we find that out in the first one. But I just thought, like, his looks weren't up to par with, uh, you know, his acting in the first one. And they definitely ramped it up a little bit. And I think they could, you know, since it's 33 years in the future, they really could have added more gray to his hair. There is, like, if you look really closely, kind of just above his sideburns, they do add a little bit of gray to that sort of curly hair, but they definitely cleaned up the hairstyle um, a lot more than the first one. And I I really, I do think that he was a lot uh, more charismatic in this one. The fact that Michelle actually learned how to use a whip for this movie is so awesome. When I heard that the first time, and I mean... It makes sense, right? Like, you're either going to use a double or you're going to have the actress learn to use a whip. Now, I don't know how hard it is to use a whip, but, man, does she kill that scene where she's skipping with the with the whip through the grocery store and she's just taking heads off of mannequins and stuff. And, you know, the scene ends with her uh, putting some aerosol cans in a microwave and just cranking it, cranking the time. So it's about to explode. And, you know, Batman's having a conversation with Penguin out on the street. They run into each other. And all of a sudden you just see iconic scene, by the way. Catwoman doing backflips, flip after flip after flip towards them. Pauses, holding her claws up by her face and just says meow. And then a huge explosion goes off. Just awesome. Just awesome. And actually, you probably heard that in the trailer too, now that I'm thinking about it. So Batman and Catwoman's interactions are so good in this film. I found that Michelle and uh, Michael Keaton, Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton had great on-screen chemistry. Uh, Catwoman really has Batman in the palm of her hands throughout the whole movie. Like, there's several scenes where she, like, tricks him into, like, kind of, you know, a flirty sort of encounter, and then she just completely stabs him in the back. And I thought that dynamic really worked well. Um, When Michelle puts the live bird in her mouth. This is obviously jumping forward a few scenes. Um, That actually happened. Michelle Pfeiffer put a live bird in her mouth for this scene. And I can't believe she actually did that. The commitment to the character was so real. And, you know, it shows. It shows when an actress or an actor um, completely commit to a role. You know, we've seen it time and time again. more now with like method acting but before you know you just got people who are really committed to the craft and were willing to try different things to make the movie a lot better um Wayne Manor I wanted to touch on this it's a little smaller and it looks like he almost relocated in this film and it makes sense now that I know (laughs) once again I'm going to repeat this so many times it was 33 years later like just mind mind-blowing to me I can't believe I never noticed that before um and you know that's somewhat uh on them for you know maybe not look making Bruce as older like as older looking you know but uh it's definitely on me because the very first scene in the movie they tell you 33 years later (laughs) anyways um I think I like Wayne Manor just a little bit better in 1989 version but it's still really well done you know, this kind of smaller Wayne Manor on the, on the hill in this, in this movie. Uh, I enjoyed 
the choice to have Catwoman be Batman's love interest, but also Selina be Bruce's love interest. I think it adds like a really fun element to the story. They do know each other's identities. Um, but as we're watching in the beginning, it's like, do they know who each other is? Do they know each other's identities? Are they just playing with each other? It's really good. And I just think that when they do ultimately find out what the identity is, it adds a whole other layer because you have two dynamics of, you know, Bruce and Selina and Batman and Catwoman, and it works really well. I have here that I really like the parallel shot of Selina and Batman getting dressed in their respective suits. Sorry. Uh, I really like the parallel shot of Selina and Bruce getting dressed in their respective suits. Now, this is the scene I'm talking about after Selina comes over to Bruce's uh, mansion and they're kind of kissing on the couch and then both of them kind of have to leave because something's going on in Times Square. And, you know, it shows that Batman is really organized. You know, he's got his combat boots set aside. He's got all these different suits just kind of on hangers in this nice vault. And he's very well prepared. They show him getting dressed really fast and really like, I just have here really well organized. And then you see Catwoman like in her car chewing on, like she's got her like, uh, she's got her mask in her mouth. She's like trying to drive. Well, like it's just a, she's a mess. She's a mess. So that parallel shot of the two of them getting dressed just shows, you know, Batman's ultimately going to come on top here because he is, he's organized and he's been doing this for a long time. The dialogue between Catwoman and Batman when they are fighting is so witty and awesome. I have a couple of quotes here. I have, I thought we had something together says Michelle Pfeiffer. And then Batman says, we do. And then grabs her and headbutts her. I think it's, I think it's great. And obviously we have to talk about the iconic kiss under the mistletoe. And I just, when I think about that kiss, I think about not so much what Michelle did. Like she chose to, you know, instead of kiss Batman, she, she licks him from the chin all the way up to the nose like a cat. And, you know, that's, that's just, it's the choice they made from the beginning. And I find when a movie, like as a crew, um, as a cast and crew on a film, when they make make a choice and live and die by that choice, like the choice to have Catwoman act like an actual cat, it works. It works really well because they commit to it and, you know, that narrative continues throughout the entire story. And what, ha- what happens is when people watch this movie back years and years later, they go, oh, okay, that's Michelle Pfeiffer's version of Catwoman, right? And nobody will ever really do it like that again for that reason. And, you know, when you live and die by a choice in a movie, it's going to always work in the future in some way. Because if people, if, so if they decided halfway through the film that, okay, Selena and, you know, her, her version of Catwoman is going to act completely different than how we decided at the beginning. So part of the movie, she's acting like a cat, part of the woman, she's act, part of the movie, she's acting like a tactical, you know, sort of burglar. It's just not going to make sense. So I'm really glad that they chose to have her act like a cat and start to finish. 
you know, commit to that. Love it. Just when you think Catwoman is about to be nice, she stabs Batman in the back. Uses the art of seduction. Well executed. I have that in there. I mentioned it before. Uh, Like having Batman in the palm of her hands. Batman's wings, whilst flying over the city, are kind of cool, and I like it. Really the only tech update we see, though. Um, We do see Batman's Batmobile kind of like do a little, I don't know, maneuver where he's like the cylinder block drops out of the bottom and then it's able to like spin on an axis but apart from that like 33 years being batman and the only updates or upgrades to your suits and your batarangs and stuff is that you know very minor tech updates (laughs) and i thought that was kind of funny but also respect for the times i love when batman finds Uh, the device that Penguin's gang has implemented on his Batmobile. They've planted it underneath his, underneath the floorboards of his Batmobile and it, Penguin is controlling it from a trailer um, near his office. And it's basically like a giant Batmobile uh, ride that he's controlling. And he's making Batman look bad because he's controlling the Batmobile and it's kind of causing all of this destruction throughout Gotham City. And uh, I love that scene where Keaton finds it finally. Like he's looking all over. He uses the Batman or the Batmobile tracking signal to track where it is underneath the floorboard. And he just starts kicking the floorboards like crazy. And he finally finds the device and he pulls it out. And Penguin realizes that the ride's no longer working. So he starts screaming at the camera. And then when Batman like angrily punches out the camera in the Batmobile... I thought that scene was so badass. Keaton's Batman dialogue in this movie is really good. I especially love when he's uh, in the vehicle talking to either himself, like contemplating what the next move is or, you know, solving a puzzle in his head about what's happening in the, in the storyline at that point. Or when he talks to Alfred, the dialogue is just for Batman in general. The dialogue is really, really good. I love when his Batmobile uh, loses its side and sort of turns into a bullet so he can go through like the cracks of the wall. It like sheds both sides and then it's just like a bullet straight shot through this thin layer of uh, like apartment buildings on either side. Um, And you know, that is really the first time in cinema where we see Batman's Batmobile, like that continues forward in the other movies where, you know, it does this, does that, sheds parts, you know, to transform into something else, like very much reminiscent of the Dark Knight when uh, the Batpod shoots out of the Batmobile, right? Like he's got these extra little things that give him an edge um, in, you know, certain scenarios. So that's great. Keaton's access to the Batcave through the mummy casket that's another thing that they added in there. I, I thought it was so, so good because it's, it's actually really sick how like the mummy casket opens and it's got the, the spikes kind of facing Bruce and then it closes onto him and then he kind of slides down this nice casual little slide uh, into the bat cave. And then I, I laughed so hard. I have here in my, uh, in my notes as well. He slides down in this really like... Um, graceful fashion and then like Alfred 
what does Alfred do? He has to take the stairs. Like the old man has to take the stairs and he meets him down in the back cave. It's so funny. If you think about that, when him and Alfred are playing the audio, like they're working together in the back cave and they play that audio disc of Penguin sort of bashing the folks of Gotham. Uh, and that was playback from when he took over the Batmobile. And he's, you know, he's saying, uh, I, you know, I'll cleanse this city of the pinhead puppets of Gotham kind of thing. Like he's saying really bad things about the general public. And Batman and Alfred work together to broadcast that during a speech of Penguins at the mayoral office. So I, I thought, you know, I love it in any Batman movie where, you know, Alfred and Batman work together. It's happened in several movies, but I just always think that's such a good dynamic. And, you know, it's the way it should be. Like, Alfred is just as skilled as Batman in the sort of detective fashion. He's very helpful, and he's tech-savvy, which is important, and they do show that a lot in this movie. I like that a lot. Um, Penguin, when Batman frames him and plays the audio, it reminds me of the scene from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now, I'm referring to the Disney classic, obviously, because that's sort of my time frame for that movie. But the way that Gotham, uh, Gotham citizens sort of publicly ridicule him by like throwing, you know, tomatoes and all kinds of different vegetables and stuff at him and like sort of laughing and pointing, it really kind of gave me... Uh, a reference to that Hunchback of Notre Dame scene where he does get ridiculed, publicly ridiculed, and it forces him to kind of, you know, go off the deep end a little bit. And, you know, Penguin's, like, it's... If you watch those scenes side by side, frame by frame, very similar. And I think that might be one of the things that they used, um, you know, as a bit of symbolism in that movie. And I thought that was really cool. So in the Christopher Nolan trilogy... The final installment in Dark Knight Rises, um, they sort of reference the masquerade ball scene from this movie. And I, you know, I kind of noticed that before, but like rewatching it now, looking for the good and the bad, um, I really, you know, it's, it's very clear cut that Christopher Nolan took that sort of inspiration from this movie, Batman Returns, because we have Selina and Bruce dancing together at this ball and, you know, they're dressed up in style and it's just, yeah, they're, the scenes are very reminiscent of each other and I think Christopher Nolan definitely, definitely pulled from this movie. I have here that I loved Selina's dress and her style, particularly in this scene. Um, it's also a good callback to the mistletoe line that they have when they kiss uh, in costume earlier in the movie. That iconic kiss that I was talking about with uh, where she licks him. Um, yeah, you know, mistletoe, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss can be even deadlier. They bring that line back, and I thought it worked really well for their alter egos as well. And, you know, Michelle's acting in this scene is just phenomenal. She's... Uh, she's exceptional in this movie. It's, you know, like I said, she's my favorite character and, you know, she commits fully in her ability to just kind of like, she looks psychotic when she's laughing, but then, you know, the tears start to roll as she's, you know, she's crying at the same time. Like you can feel that pain. And, you know, I love that about her. She was fantastic. The third act of this film is the best part. 
in my opinion. Uh, you know, we get Batman in the Bat Submarine, which was really cool. You know, you got the uh, you got him controlling the penguins. The penguins are basically they're dispatched out by Penguin to, um, you know, send off some missiles in Gotham. Like Penguin's got this big plan where he's going to take every firstborn child and kill them in his lair. But also he's going to send out the penguins with missiles strapped to their backs and, you know, bomb the city essentially. And Batman turns them around with Alfred's help. Another Batman and, or another Bruce and Alfred team up. Um, yeah, it's, you know, Alfred is at his best in this movie. 100%. And the shots of the bat of Batman in the bat sub are some of the best shots in the movie. You know, he's anytime Batman is in I think I talked about this in the 1989 episode. Anytime he's in his sort of cabin or uh, you know, pass or his seat of his Batmobile and he's doing something in there, that's such a great shot and you know, that Keaton and Burton t- team up with those shots worked really, really well. I have here that Batman using the penguins uh, is another example of what I mean when I say he uses tactics instead of fists uh, to defeat his enemies. He's very, very smart, and he knows how to work a situation without having to get his hands dirty. I sort of really see that concept um, throughout this movie. Uh, I love Catwoman's final look look with the ripped mask and like her hair's messed up, kind of falling out the side. I thought that was really cool. It shows how authentic and like handmade her suit is, like that that can happen. I have here, um, I love that uh, when Batman shows up to have his final encounter with Selina, the dialogue is perfect in this scene as they know now who each other's identities are right so she's talking to him as selena and he's talking to her as bruce but they're also still wearing their masks it's great and i have here as kind of a funny thing i love when batman pushes max's face and says shut up you're going to jail you know (laughs) it's so funny it works really well um and then yeah this is part of the dialogue he I have here just a quote. This is one of the things that uh, Batman says to Catwoman in the final scenes. He says, we are the same, split down the center. And that's so true. They are. They are that alter ego. And I think that's what appeals so much uh, about Selina to Bruce uh, in general, is that she is the same as him. Um, When he reveals himself to Selina, I love that scene, like how he just kind of rips the rubbery mask off. But as pointed out probably in many things, many people have pointed this out, I know that, um, the scene literally cuts from him wearing the black eyeliner to as soon as he goes to pull it off, you can see the eye holes are, there's no eyeliner there at all. So that's kind of silly, but, and takes away from that scene just a little bit, but not enough that, um, you know, it's, it's a bad for me. It's, it's still a really good, uh, really, really good, um, reveal for Bruce to do that. Okay, what else do I got here? I'm almost reaching the end of my goods, and then we're going to get into the bads here. But uh, I just, I, I have here that I'm so glad Selena kills Max. And 
<laughs> the nine lives scene. I, I call it the nine lives scene because I find it to be so badass and it's just the cherry on top of this brilliant idea that they had to have her act like a cat right down to, hey, cats have nine lives. And you know what? It's also kind of comic book style, in my opinion, when you have that sort of fantasy to it where Selena has, we're going to have this idea that Selena actually does have nine lives and, you know, she continues to live on and they really like take that home when she's walking towards Max and he keeps shooting her and she's counting down slowly, like counts down each life that she loses. It's, it's just a great climax for Michelle. Like I said, she's my, she's the best character in this film, in my opinion. Um, I love how she has one life left at the end. Like she counts down right to that one. So we know that she survives the sort of death kiss with Max where she, lights the taser and, you know, kisses him on the lips, killing Max. We see Max's body as Bruce is kind of shifting through the wreckage. Um, but it, it definitely leaves Bruce wanting more and wondering if she's still out there. Um, okay, another good scene for Penguin, actually. I, I said only one good scene for Penguin, but I do have a second. And it's when he rises out of the water. And the reason this scene is so good for me is because again of Danny Elfman's score it's so beautiful um it's such a good climax when Keaton turns around and you know I say to myself like like Penguin's walking slowly towards him you know and Batman doesn't see him because he's shifting through the wreckage he sees Max's dead body and you know Penguin reaches for one of his multiple uh umbrellas in the in his little canister there. And he pulls out a cute one, like one that kind of makes a circusy sound. And it's got all these ducks attached to it. He goes for a gun, obviously, but it doesn't work out. And you know, this, when the score kind of climaxes, that's when Keaton turns around, you know, he's got his mask ripped off. It's clearly just Bruce standing in the bat suit. And it's just such a climactic score that I say, I say to myself every time when I see that scene, I go, that's Batman. And, you know, if, if you can even have one of these moments in a Batman movie where you say, wow, that's Batman, then it's a success. And, you know, Keaton pulls it off so well. And I thought it was a great uh, finale for him as Batman. I mean, for the time being, we know he's going to be in the Flash movie, but that's, uh, that's going to be a completely different thing. Now, the finale in uh, Burton's sequel here in Batman Returns, it's not as good as its predecessor of 1989. Batman, where, you know, you have the climactic sort of score building up to seeing Batman on the roof. But I do really love when Bruce picks up the mysterious cat in the alley in the snow. And I'm just going to touch on this one more time that I love that this movie was set in wintertime. It just makes for a gorgeous Gotham City. Again, the score is fantastic to close out the film. Um, And as the bat signal appears in the sky we see Catwoman actually appear in the background. And, you know, this line, these lines from Bruce and Alfred at the very end chill me to my core just because I'm such a fan. But let me just read this to you. Alfred looks in the rearview mirror and he says to Bruce, holding now, now holding that black cat, Alfred says, well, come what may, 
Merry Christmas, Mr. Wayne. And in the back seat, Bruce says, Merry Christmas, Alfred. Goodwill toward men and women. Exit Keaton. That's, that's the send-off. It's, for now, he was a fantastic Batman. He will always be my first Cape Crusader and one for the ages. Great ending to that sort of, you know, Batman 1 and Batman 2 with Michael Keaton. He was signed up for Batman Forever, but it didn't work out. And I'm glad it didn't because, you know, these two movies will always be my Michael Keaton Batmans and Tim Burton collaboration. So it's, you know, these are the Tim Burton movies. I know he was involved with Batman Forever as well. Um, but, you know, though I, I treat Batman Forever and Batman and Robin as a completely separate thing. And the send-off for Keaton and Tim Burton as this sort of dynamic duo in these movies was, it was so well done at the end. And I, yeah, I tip my cap to those two because they brought Batman to the big screen in a way that is hard to forget. So that ends the good. And now let's get into the bad. So this might surprise you because I just went on for 41 minutes about how good this movie is and all the good points. But I don't like this movie. This is my least favorite Batman movie. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll like, okay, it's not my least favorite Batman movie. We'll say Batman and Robin is my least favorite movie because it's everybody's least favorite Batman movie. It just, it just is. But I didn't necessarily like this movie. And here's why. Starting the bads. Uh, I find that Tim Burton struggles with ordinary sets, like business meetings uh, with Max are very strange, impractical looking sets, um, just odd in general. It's just an opinion for me. And where he excels is more along the gothic, mythical side of the film, like, you know, shooting scenes in Gotham, shooting the darker Batman, you know, Catwoman scenes. Selena Kyle is kind of a... She's a tough one for me in this. Like I said, Michelle Pfeiffer was my favorite character. Um, but Selena Kyle, she's geeky and shy at the beginning. Um, I prefer Selena to be sort of empowered, strong-willed. Um, she turns into that, but I just don't really like her timid persona before she transforms. Um, I have here Christopher Walken's character is extremely annoying and irrelevant, I also really hated his hair. Like, it was just awful. Just sort of like that pushed back gray. Kind of made his head look like a giant, like, globe. <laughs> it was, I don't know. Just didn't work for me at all. And I thought that his relationship with his son, Shrek. Like, his son's name is literally Shrek. So you have Max and Shrek. <laughs> it was just, it was so weird. And his son was just, like, still a baby. But he was, like, this grown-ass man. It was weird. Um, so I had in part of my goods, Penguin's Goons, but also Penguin's Goons, some of them fall into my bad. And most of those ones are the ones that are dressed like, uh, clowns. They just don't work for me at all. It seemed like lazy, write, lazy writing and kind of a ripoff of, you know, the Joker in general. It just was really silly. 33 years in Gotham and Batman's only upgrade to the Batmobile are like a couple of bars that shoot out and a cylinder block that shoots out the bottom to allow the Batmobile to rotate. 
Keaton's Batman is a simpleton man. That's what I have in the note here. He's such a simpleton. Bare minimum. Batman never once interacts with Gordon in Burton's films. Key element missed. I understand in the first film because Gordon doesn't know what the fuck he's dealing with. But 33 years later, and Gordon still doesn't talk to Batman? Just turn on the signal. Hope he comes. Like super, super missed opportunity there to have Gordon interact with Batman. And I'm glad we got that in later films because who knows what would happen when they don't set that precedent that this is what should happen. Okay, here we go. We're diving into Penguin. Now, Penguin, in my opinion, is literally awful. I hate the design. The costumes are bad. Danny DeVito did what he could and... Props to him. He 100% commits. Uh, but his character comes off as a screaming, creepy, annoying, difficult to look at character that quite frankly takes away from the awesomeness of this film. He's also very crude and gross with his dialogue. It makes me kind of nauseous at times. Do I think Batman needed two villains in this movie? Yes. That was the right choice in my opinion. But was Penguin the right choice? No, I think they should have used a more grounded character like Two-Face since they already teased him. You know, they teased Harvey Dent in the first film. That's just my opinion. The choice was made by someone to use fake penguins mixed with real ones. And man, is it funny to see if you're looking for it. The humans in penguin costumes waddling, it's so funny. They look so fake. Also... Why does Penguin randomly leak black shit out of his mouth? I never understood that. Like, years of just a fish diet makes you all of a sudden just, like, leak black out of your mouth all the time? It just came off as really gross and weird. Where are the police at these press conferences? Just nowhere to be found, guys. Multiple attacks by Penguin and his goons, and it's only a crowd in the press there. Like, just major plot hole there. Like, you're telling me not a single bout of security is there to help with, like, the highest-ranking officials in Gotham? <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Something that, if you're looking for it, you're going to find, right? Penguin's quill that he writes with in the mayor's office is absurdly large. It's, like, two feet long. It's massive. Who would want to write with that? And he's got these like flippers for hands. So like, how is he going to write with this giant quill? I just, it was, it was so outrageous. <laughs> um, the only issue I have with Catwoman is that she is born and then immediately has this problem with Batman. No motivation at all. Just a plot hole for me. Like she's just, she doesn't even know really about Batman or who Bruce is. Like she hasn't met Bruce yet. And then this all happens when Max pushes her out the window and then she, you know, immediately has this vendetta for Batman. I can't get over how short Bruce is in these films. And that's just a me problem. You know what? They chose a casting and they stuck with it. You know, as Selena is walking with him in certain scenes, they're the exact same height you know, if anything, Selena kind of, you know, she's a little taller than him at times when, depending on how the scene is shot. And, you know, it just doesn't work for me as far as like, 
it just takes away from it a little bit. But again, like I said, that's a me problem. That's not something that they did that was wrong. It's just something that I prefer. And that's okay. The worst scene. This Now, this is my note. In all capitals, the worst scene in the whole film happens when Max introduces Oswald to his crew while he's running for mayor. He bribes him with a raw fish to get him to come down the stairs. Not only did Danny DeVito actually eat this raw fish, so again, props for him for staying in character and doing these crazy things, similar to Michelle Pfeiffer with the bird in her mouth and stuff. But he actually eats this raw fish for this scene, and he actually scared the lady in the scene for real. Like, that was actually released after the film. And he was an asshole on set. Uh, this is well known. Uh, this is, you know, a case of Danny DeVito kind of staying in set. And I heard that he was just, you know, difficult to deal with. And yeah, so he ate the raw fish and the lady in the scene is actually scared for real. It creeps me out and I hate it. <laughs> just plain and simple. I hate it. it. Just really didn't do anything for me. And it just grosses me out that scene. When Penguin bites the man's nose, it's sickening. Not necessary and really too far. Uh, he's also a huge pervert throughout the entire film. Makes many sexual comments towards women. And I didn't like that either. The only character Batman is taller than in this film is Penguin. Who is about four feet tall. <laughs> so that tells you something. Catwoman and Penguin's team up doesn't work for me. Um, it's just unnatural and kind of strange. And again, Penguin's just got a hard on for Catwoman the whole time. And, you know, makes all these sexual comments. And she's just kind of like, you know, I want to get out. Like, I want to get Batman. And you're my only person who we share the same sort of vibe towards him. Plans forming line from Penguin where he goes, eek, 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 eek. Now, in the trailer that I played at the beginning of this episode, it makes it sound creepy and cool. But in the movie... Wow, guys, it's terrible. It's such a weird scene. He's like laying on the bed and he's like, makes his hands into a penguin shape, like a bird. And he's, you know, doing the shadow on the ceiling. And he's like, plans forming. Eek, 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 eek. And I was just I, watching that. I'm like, this is so silly. I hate this. Also because I hate that character. I mean, if you liked Danny DeVito's performance, yeah, it's going to add to it. Uh, Catwoman giving herself a bath is really weird and just didn't work for me. Very cheesy. Now, again, that relates back to them making the decision to use Catwoman as an actual cat, like her acting like a cat, right down to her licking herself, giving herself a bath. <laughs> so, but that scene is the, really the only scene as, you know, with that whole cat dynamic that doesn't work. I find Selena kind of annoying in general. Uh, I like Catwoman, but Selena was annoying before when she's timid and scared. And then afterwards, she's kind of this zombie. Um, like when she's in the cat suit, she's great as Catwoman uh, after the accident. But when she's Selena after the accident, she turns into like a walking zombie. It's weird. Um, and it didn't work. Like I said, I like her a little more empowering, a little more aware of her surroundings and stuff. Penguin's goons magically know how to hack Batman's tech and hack the Batmobile. Like, all of a sudden, these, like, 
clowns and like there's this woman who carries this tiny little chihuahua around and stuff. They just all of a sudden know how to hack the Batmobile, like the highest tech possible in Gotham City. And they know how to hack it and get Penguin's little device on there so he can control the Batmobile. Little plot holes like that. But how else are you going to shoot that scene if you want it in there, right? The model's choking noise when Catwoman grabs her is so extra. She's like, Catwoman grabs the model that's supposed to push the light for Gotham City's tree to sort of light up for the season. Now, Penguin sort of uh, captures her and uh, Catwoman is the one who sort of grabs her afterwards. And when she grabs her, when Batman shows up, she goes, sorry, girl talk. And then she chokes the, chokes the model. And the model, when she's choking, she goes, <coughs> and it's so extra and weird. <laughs> I just thought, it, if anything, it's really funny. Um, at times, Keaton looks like an accountant. And that's a problem for me. I just, you know, he's, he's, Ah, uh, you know, I, I, this isn't even really a bad for me, but at times he doesn't look even like a billionaire. He just kind of looks like some random guy with a job, but is that intentional? Because you know what? If anything, uh, Tim's Bruce Wayne blends in pretty well with society. No one would know that he's like this Batman, which, you know, in retrospect, as I'm reading my notes here, I think that's more of a positive than anything. Penguin has an actual trailer with a Batmobile ride installed in it. I have about a hundred laughing faces, laughing face emojis behind this one. How did he install that? When? Who? How? <laughs> you know, like he's got this like actual ride set up in his trailer. It's just, it's ridiculous. I like, that's the only thing they could think of for, you know, Penguin being a threat. Kind of silly. Who brought all of the lettuce and tomatoes to that press conference that they're throwing at Penguin? Like, what? All of a sudden, people just have, just loaded with different types of vegetables to throw at this guy who's just doing a speech. It's just, maybe that's something that people brought back then. Who knows? But I just thought it was really funny to think about. Penguin's plan to slaughter every firstborn child is very dark polar opposite of the last film who barely had uh, Joker deliver a serious line. It's an interesting choice for me. You have Penguin, who in my opinion is less threatening than the Joker and his plan is a lot darker than, you know, Gotham's biggest baddie in Joker in the last film. So, like I said, interesting choice moving into a sequel. Penguin's little jumpsuit, his pajamas, are just the worst. Now, costume design had to have approved this in some form or another, but he just looks like a walking ball. And with the black hair, you know, stringy black hair, like, like I said, the looks for the Penguin is just terrible, in my opinion. And it does really take away from this film. When Penguin screams after reading Batman's note and the camera zooms in really closely on that weird mouth of his, 
like I said, that leaks black. Like he like screams and then like, the camera like shakes with him screaming and then it zooms really close in on his mouth and fades to black inside of his mouth. It's just such a weird choice for a shot, in my opinion. Penguin's giant duck that he rolls around on is so ridiculous to me. Could it have, could it have worked in a different light? That's a good question. I don't really know. I think that Penguin's look in general was wrong from the start. So then you have him riding around on this giant duck, this plastic duck, that makes him less intimidating, but he's got all these dark lines and dark humor. I just, yeah, just doesn't work at all. My final bad. This is the final bad of the comic book movie guy bads. Penguin's death is as vulgar as his whole presence in the movie. Gross, meaningless, quite frankly, not a huge payoff. Like, just didn't enjoy him. However, the fake penguins take him to the depths to the depths of the water, like they drag his body once he passes out. Um, and I thought that was beautiful. But again, that's only because of the score. It's nothing that's happening on screen. Actually, that death scene is where you really see the humans in the penguin costumes and takes away from it again. But without the score, this movie would have been really bad. All right, it's time for my conclusion. So here we go. Batman Returns 1992 is a sequel with many upgrades, but were they the right ones? Are the new characters enough to carry the film? Does the comic book movie guy good outweigh the comic book movie guy bad? Let's find out. So, the comic book movie guy good points. I have 50 points for the good. And these are 50 long points. Very long. The comic book movie guy bads. I have 30 points. So yes, the comic book movie guy goods outweigh the comic book movie guy bads for Batman Returns. In final summary, Tim Burton's sequel, Batman Returns, brings a darker tone to the character and his villains. Set 33 years after the events of the first movie, Batman takes on two very polar opposite villains. Catwoman is the MVP of this film. Penguin needs to go back to the zoo. He ruins the film. It's kind of proof to me in a way that one small choice in characters uh, can change the entire tone and dynamic of a movie. Let me paint a picture for you. Batman Returns, the exact same movie, but remove the entire Penguin character and story. I at times wish, if anything, they would have just had Batman face off against Catwoman alone uh, as she was so, so strong in this. While the bad points, in brackets mostly Penguin, don't outweigh the good, Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer, at their best, carry this dark, dark film to the light. The final send-off to Tim's Gotham City will always be a classic, and I look forward to seeing Keaton return for The Flash 2022. Comic Book Movie Guy final score for Batman Returns 1992 is an 8 out of 10 without Penguin and a 6 out of 10 with Penguin. So there you have it. That's Comic Book Movie Guy's segment, The Scale. Now you can look forward to next week when I tackle Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Now that's the 1993 classic that was basically uh, the first feature film in the cinema that was released 
based on Batman the Animated Series. Because they had so much success with that show, they decided to make a movie, and by God, does it deliver. I can't wait to go deep on that one. So this has been Comic Book Movie Guy, the podcast, episode two of the segment series, The Scale. I'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for tuning in. From your secret friend. Underneath the bridge. Who? Top has sprung a leak. And the animals are trapped. Having a clue. All become my pet. Let's play a game. Just me and you. Any of this mean anything to you? <laughs>